Lord, in our world. And I pray, Father, that as we begin this study, that you would enable our hearts to be enthralled by you. That God, that the, the text, this beautiful, sacred, perfect text would overwhelm your people with joy and hope and truth and wisdom and beauty. As we begin this book together, Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Father, help me preach clearly. Give me understanding and insight of the verses and the narratives and the details. And Father, help everyone to be able to listen. Might I preach in such a way as not to hinder anyone hearing what you have breathed into this text, Father. Only help me draw it out for our sakes. I ask and pray that Jesus may be revealed on the pages of Genesis and in his name we pray. Amen. How do you introduce the first book of the Bible? Where do we begin? Right? No, no pun intended. Where do we begin? The, the, the word Genesis means beginning. Genesis is very much a book of beginnings. In fact, it's a book about the beginning of everything except God. Reality began for us in Genesis 1-1. Reality never began for God. Ever. God is reality. Right? Before Genesis 1-1, God was. God has always been. He never began. Our minds cannot fathom that. Before there were angels, before there were seraphim, cherubim, before anything, there was God existing perfectly as one God in three persons. That's the best way we know how to make sense of what we see. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was infinitely glorious, infinitely powerful, infinitely beautiful, infinitely wise, infinitely sovereign, infinitely majestic. He lacked nothing. He needed nothing. He was. And then he created the world. And nothing about him changed. Nothing The earth is not a given. Humanity is not a given. There is one given in all known and unknown reality, the God who is. Genesis is a book about God. A God of whom we find in its pages is a God of plan and promise, of design and covenant, of work and word. And I believe the revelation that God is working out a specific plan that he means to accomplish through his promises, his covenants, is the central unifying theme of the first book of the Bible. Who this God is, however, demands us to start a study on Genesis in the time, if we can call it that, before Genesis even started. Okay, So to introduce Genesis, I hope properly, we have to go back to the time before time. We have to go back to Before God created the world. We have to go back before the foundation of the world. Because as scripture unfolds, certain things that relate to us that are true were settled even then. We're given a picture in scripture of what this God is like that must inform, that's meant to inform our understanding of creation. There's furniture, so to speak, that we need in our minds before we ever read the first verse of the Bible. Because the first verse is not the beginning of God. The first verse is the beginning of us, of you and me. Who is this God in Genesis 1-1? 
In John 17, 24, before the foundation of this world, God the Father was loving God the Son. There was active, loving communion within the Godhead. No deficiency in him before the world was ever made. In Acts 15, 18, we read that known to this God from all eternity are his works. Before he ever created a single thing, God had every single thing he was going to accomplish already settled and known even how he was going to do it in his infinitely holy and wise mind. Those works were even then as good as done in Hebrews 4.3. In Matthew 13.35, there were secrets he was hiding about himself as he created that he would reveal one day in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that son, the second person of this eternal holy trinity, was in the creating mind of this God, a lamb already foreordained to be slain in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Before mankind was ever created or had fallen, the Son of God was foreordained to be slain for us. Before God created in Genesis 1-1, in Revelation 13-8 and 17-8, the names of those he would save by his sacrifice were already written in the book of life. From heaven, God would send this lamb to pursue them like a shepherd goes after his sheep. That was settled and provided for before Genesis 1-1. In 2 Timothy 1-9, God had already purposed to give us his grace in this son before time even began, Paul says. In Matthew 25, 34-40, before the foundation of the world, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has already been prepared for his people. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, before the foundation of the world, yet again, he has already chosen us in his son. And then, beloved, then he created the heavens and the earth. All that at least was true and settled before God even made a single atom. So, beloved, we come into Genesis 1, 1, knowing, knowing That the God who created the heavens and the earth is a sovereign, gracious, all-wise, all-powerful God whose explicit intention is to save sinners. Everything revealed to us about the God who is before the world even existed, all the things that are revealed about who he is before he created revolve completely around his plan to save fallen people and his power to accomplish it with the promises He has already made the world created in Genesis 1-1. Our world was created by the God who is with the plan to save sinners by his grace in his son, Jesus Christ, and to accomplish that salvation through his desire and ability to keep the promise he makes to do so. And one last thing before we head into Genesis 1-1 for us to write on our hearts is this. The agent of the creation we are about to read, the one doing the creating work is the lamb foreordained to do the saving by his sacrificial death, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God that creates the world is a person, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ himself. 
John 1, 1 through 5 illuminates this beginning in Genesis 1, 1 just a little bit more for us when it reads the same way in the beginning, that is this beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So beloved, in the beginning, that God specifically created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible begins with the assumption that there is a God, right? It's not even a question. That's the default assumption that begins human history, the existence of God. That's the background for everything. There's no explanation of God here. There's no argument for his existence. He existed, then he created. That's what verse 1 establishes. God created everything. What follows is the story of how he did it. The scriptures present a linear history on a line of how the world came into existence. There's a movement in the text from inception to completion. Right? There's a single foundation to human history. There's an order. There's a direction. There's a design. What I think Moses has written here stands in complete contrast to other Near Eastern cultures at this time that were writing origins of the world and creation and things like this. The Bible differs completely from them. In those there are uh, chaos, disorder, and the result of chaos and disorder, the result of all that mess is a planet or humanity as we know it. Genesis paints the beginning of human history as the result of God's work that unfolds according to God's plan. God is the creator. He is the author. He is the cause. Never forget this. When you're tempted to question God, as we all are, in derisive ways, I mean, we get angry, we, we question in unbelief, why he is the way that he is or why things go the way they go or work the way that they do. And You and I are an effect, beloved. We are not a cause. We are the effect in that equation. We have zero rights, zero, when it comes to telling God what he has to be like. That's, that's insane, right? Anything we read about God that is hard to understand or to accept, where, where are you going to take him to court? Right, We are an effect. He was first. We, he made us. We came later. Everything about him was set before we were ever on the scene. The book of Genesis was, I think, written by Moses. That's the most likely option, probably. And there are reasons it's the most likely option. Significant ones, but probably written sometime during the wilderness wanderings of Israel, maybe during the final years of Moses' life as they're getting ready to enter, or as he thought, between... 1446, 1406 BC, somewhere in there, would most like Genesis would have most likely been updated within Israel as time went on and connections were made that, oh, that, that was Moab, that was Edom, right? Those, those things could have been updated without doing any damage to the text in order to provide the necessary background Israel needed to grasp God's purpose for them, right? He, Moses goes all the way back to the beginning. 
but also to grasp his ultimate purpose for the world, right? The storyline of the Bible as a whole. The faith of God's people in this world begins when God is our primary point of reference for our entire existence, right? We can only understand the world through the lens of the God who made it. So that's where scripture begins. God is not his creation. It's separate from him. He has the priority over it. God is primary. We are secondary. And the earth God created first was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. So there's something there, but it's without form and void. Darkness is over the face of the deep. So nothing existed. And then God made the earth. Whatever that first created earth was, it had no definite form to it. It, There was nothing and then there was something because God created it. And because God had not yet created light, right? Light has to be created, beloved. It doesn't just exist. It has to be created. Because God had not yet created light, the mass was covered completely in physical darkness. There was simply an absence of light. The Bible interestingly never says that God created darkness. Darkness is there because God is created, but he has not created light. God created light, therefore there's darkness, right? This is preceding the light. I know it's a little... But this thing called darkness doesn't exist unless there's an absence of light. But then again, if nothing that exists exists without God, then darkness wouldn't have existed without him either. So it wasn't that there was God and then out here there was all this darkness. There was God. That's it. Right? He created this thing that was without form and void and now there's darkness because there isn't any light. But the mass, water, right? Water's a part of this mass. But this mass called earth is not the only thing now present. God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. God was not his creation, but neither was God going to be separate from it. We find that out instantaneously in creation. His very spirit, the word here can be translated wind. Right? That's interesting. The wind from God, his spirit is hovering over the water. God is just there. When God is creating what is new, his spirit will always be present. That's going to unfold as we read. In fact, as scripture unfolds and reaches its climax in Jesus, the presence of his spirit is the proof of his creating existence all through the Bible. God exists. God is. And this God who exists creates. Now, how does he do that? Does God work with materials already present? Is the earth a composite of things that already existed? So God is basically the most skilled of laborers, really. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Look down at that again. God said, let there be light. And there was light. How did God create? God spoke. The God who is creates, and he creates by his word. That is completely unique to God. 
God exists, God speaks, and that word he speaks creates. Could you imagine being able to talk into existence what you want to have or to do? Imagine it. It's unimaginable. If you could just, you know what, I could really use, I could really use uh, $6,437.89 and there it is. There it is. In the movies, they make you think that's like pallets and pallets of cash. It's like a box probably that big, right? Just, but imagine, in other words, imagine the power you would wield if you could create, if you could bring into existence by speaking. All creation, all history, all of it come into existence together through God's speech. Try to wrap our minds around all this. God says, let there be light and there was light. Let there be what? Right? Do you understand that God creates light? It's not like light exists and he like says, I wanted to show up here. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Let there be light. Light didn't even exist before God said, let there be light. He created light with his word. Whatever his mind conceived of as light, when he spoke it, it was, even though it didn't previously exist. It's not like, again, it's not like the air heard, let there be light, and said, okay, hit the switch. There was no switch. There was nothing. The only way light came into being was the words of God taking shape into what he had in mind when he said, let there be this thing called light. God has the ability to bring into literal existence, tangible existence, that which not only doesn't exist, what isn't there, but has never existed until and unless he speaks it into existence. God creates by his word, ex nihilo. Maybe you've heard this phrase. It means out of nothing. And the call stem of that verb in Hebrew, to create, is employed exclusively in the Old Testament to refer to God's activity. The subject of that verb is never human. It is always God. Look at 4 and 5. And God saw that the light was good. Just imagine God seeing it. Finally exist from his mind and liking it. It's, it's an amazing, it's, it's just him. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The creation of the earth and light and darkness, which God named begin and end the first day of creation, the first day of all human history. Now, there are entire books, literally entire books written on this idea of day, yom in Hebrew, Y-O-M. It's used at least four ways. That word day in the first two chapters of Genesis is used as the 12-hour period of daylight as opposed to night, verse 14, 16, verse 18, as a solar day of 24 hours in verse 14, as the period of light that began with the creation of night on the first creative day in verse 5, and the entire six-day creative period itself in chapter 2, verse 4. How long were the days of creation? Did God create the world in six literal 24-hour periods? Or does day signify a much longer age of time? It's called the day-age theory. Each day represents a whole age 
Or there are other theories. Was it, was it literal days with gaps in between them? Or did God reveal it as six days, but he didn't actually perform it in six days? Here's my theory. It doesn't matter. He did it. Everything that happened here, he did it. That's what I know. And I've, I've read, I've read, and I don't mean to make light of it. It's very interesting to study. I know there's an answer, right? I mean, the right theory's out there somewhere. And I, but I, what I think is important is that we never try to downplay the creation narrative ever. God did it. His spirit is hovering over the face of the waters before there's really anything else. He's actively creating, literally creating everything that's here. God is doing it. Like it's not figurative. It's not like. Uh, Adam and Eve are going to be figurative. No, 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 no. This is all literal. He did this. It literally happened. I just, I don't know. It says day. It says morning and evening the first day. That seems to me to be a literal day. So I kind of think my opinion, it was six literal or close to literal 24 hour days. I think that was his design maybe to establish our weeks. But what have we just read about him? What, what, what do we read about him in just the first couple verses of the Bible? His word creates what his word speaks out of nothing. Beloved, do you know what that means? He chose to do it this way in steps. He could have just said world and everything he envisioned as what this would be would have existed in that second it left his mouth. In fact, he doesn't even have to say it if he didn't want to. So there are reasons, there's an account, there are, there are reasons, there are steps and days and periods and all this detail that we get here. This is a beautiful gift for God to reveal this to us because I think of what it's ultimately pointing us to. Is anything impossible for one that can do what we just read? Anything? No, there's nothing. I've read all the theories. Some of them are very interesting, very fun to study, but what matters here is that we believe Genesis 1-1. That's the main thing. If you believe there is a God who creates by his word out of nothing, that brings things into existence by speaking, and not by just commanding things that already exist to make something, then any of the theories are probably pretty fair. How old is the world? When did God do this? I don't know. I just know that he did it, and it was probably a really long time ago. Right? Do I believe the world is just over six to seven thousand years old, or do I believe it's billions and billions of years old? I really don't know. I, I would say this I think we need to, to remember that the purpose of Genesis is not scientific correlation. The Bible did not come into existence because God figured, I better answer some of these questions. That's not why the Bible's here. So while the Bible is not anti science, that's not the purpose of the Bible. Right. The, the purpose here is not for you and I to know when, right? It's, it's, it's really not. And, and, and it, I'm not saying it's wrong to study that. It's very interesting to study that. And, but th- that's not the main purpose of Genesis. The purpose of Genesis is to reveal the God who creates by his word that which doesn't exist so that he might save sinners by his grace through the promises that he made. By the time Genesis 1-1 hits its period, we're really already knocked off our chair if we're listening. By the time we hit the end of verse 3, it's hard to breathe if we're hearing the text. How do I explain the age of the earth by means of 
carbon dating and all things like that, that it's, you know, that says it's billions and billions of years old. Maybe it is. I, I don't, I don't care. Right? You can carbon date a squirrel and it'll age it out at about four million years old sometimes. So carbon dating isn't super reliable or squirrels are really amazing. Right? There are answers. Make no mistake. There are answers. And it's all very interesting, but I mean, the world could be several literal thousand years old, or it could be billions of years old. The fact is, it has a creator. And if, if the world is billions of years old, it's probably because, which, which I would think, I understand the earth ages old. I don't have any issue with that. I, God didn't create Adam and Eve as infants. He created them as adults. So it's very possible by scientific reckoning, if you try to age the earth, that it's going to appear aged because it was created aged. You say, well, that's impossible to do. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. Impossible's off the table, right? It's just, it's off the table. There, you know, there, again, there are, this is where the, Debates begin. This is where the rubber meets the road. If, if you say that you believe the Bible and you believe the Word of God and you believe it's true and you believe the Word of His Son and you believe in Him, this is, this is, this is where the battles will often begin is the creation account. Because, uh, I had a, a dear relative of mine, a nephew I care very much for, that, that he, his big question to me, the question he would always push is the flood is geologically impossible. You would say that to me all the time. And I would say, I, it doesn't matter. Maybe it is. We're not talking about geology. We're not talking about that. I believe that God said, let there be light, and there was light. He can flood the world. Right? That should be no... Again, the problem is not... Intent is prior to content. God has already been denied... And disdained when we start to say, well, that's geologically impossible. We're, we're not even listening, right? We're not even listening. And it's, it's, it's in, in one sense, I want to be careful here because we're all absolutely responsible. In one sense, it's not his fault in that he can't believe that when he reads it unless something happens. And we just read about what happens that enables us to believe it. But we'll get to that. I believe God creates by his word out of nothing and causes to exist that which previously did not. Is there such a thing as geology and teleology and all these things? Absolutely. But science is not the enemy of creation or God or the Bible. It's just that it's when science along with any other data or theory is used to disprove the existence of God and the creation account that it becomes a problem. But the fact of the matter is here is that we are secondary. We are, we, we were created. We do not call the shots. We do not establish the categories. We do not establish the terms. We are secondary, beloved. We discover, right? We, we don't create in this way. We discover, which is why our fields of learning as as extensive as they can be, are constantly evolving because we aren't this. We can't create reality out of nothing. So our ability to comprehend is always limited by the fact that we are not origins. 
Right? We are secondary. God calls the light he made good. He does not call the darkness that is the result of its absence good. Right? And notice he separates them instantly. At least in the text. He makes a distinction between that which he created and called into existence out of nothing. And that which also came to exist because he did that. He makes a distinction. So there's very deliberate design in all of this. It's almost like God wants to communicate to us through the way he created. And he gives these two things their names. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. God creates identity and definition. That's clear in the first five verses of the Bible. It's extremely clear as the Bible unfolds. God is a namer. Calling the light day and the darkness night. That brings an end to day one of creation, morning and evening. What did God establish on the first day of our existence? Right? I think when we consider scripture, what he established on day one proclaims the very means by which he will accomplish his saving plan. You cannot forget a lamb has already been foreordained to be slain by the time we come to 1-1. Okay? Remember all the text we talked about at the beginning. All that is done, clear in the mind of God. It's going to take place. You see? All of history is created with God already having a plan for what's going to occur. I say, well, that creates massive problems for us. For us. Again, well, well, God can't do that because, no, 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 no. See, we didn't listen. We didn't listen to the first five verses of the Bible. Right? It, I, I, know, I know a lot of it doesn't make sense. That, that, that's part of the beauty. That, that's part of the wonder of it. That's part of the truth of it. You, yeah, I mean, he's, he's other. He's other. There's a reason God created this way. A very clear reason. When we take into account what we did earlier about what was true before the foundation of the world with how God creates the foundation of the world, because that's what this is, the truth that results from that is amazing. Now, I want you to think for a moment, because again, Genesis is where all the biggest issues with God began. Began. Everything goes back to whether or not a person believes Genesis 1-1. Everything. Right? You believe Genesis 1-1, the rest is kind of falls into place. You don't, you're, you're not going to believe, or everything from 1-1 forward is in doubt if you don't believe 1-1. Why do people reject God? If, if I, it is so basic, think this through for a minute. If I took a $5 bill and I put it on my nightstand and I got up in the morning and it was gone, would I assume that no one took it? It just happened. Of, of course not. I mean, I, I would assume probably that one of my four lovely children took my $5 is what I would assume, or my own wife took my $5. But, if, if something is there and then it's not, you do not assume it disappeared. Right? We know something happened. 
It, it works just the other way. I know how everybody in this room got here, just like you know how I got here. I know how this building got here. I know how those streets got there. I know how America got here. I know how the West got settled. I, I, right? We, why? Because things don't create themselves. So you would think, wouldn't you, that at the very least what every human being could admit just by having a brain is that, well, yeah, there has to be a maker if there are things. But that's not, that is the last thing most people believe now. Why? Why does it start there? Why do people reject God at the most basic level of obvious existence? Why would we come up with theories like the Big Bang? Right? Why would we, why would it be easier to believe that there was nothing and it blew up than to believe that there's someone out there that said, I'm, I'm going to create this and bring it into existence. Both are hard to understand and, and hard, but one at least is rational. The other is crazy. Why do people believe it? Because that's what the evidence supports? No. The evidence does not support that. Why do people reject God? Why won't they believe in his son as their savior? Beloved, it is ultimately not anything to do with geological or biological or scientific questions or contradictions. It's not ultimately because creation out of nothing can't be sufficiently tested in a lab. It is 100% finally because men love darkness rather than the light. John 3.19 Because we are all sinners. When Jesus talks that way, it's Genesis 1 language. Darkness and light. There is a sin problem there's a darkness problem that precedes our ability and willingness to believe the truth being presented to us from God. We are born lightless and void inside. That's how we're conceived. That's how we're created. There's nothing here that God can work with to make us into his child. There's nothing. We are, spiritually speaking, nihilo. Nothing. Well, that darkness that's inside of everyone makes it even more urgent now for us to believe and worship the God who is because in these last days, we're not in the first days anymore. In these last days, this God has spoken to us in the person of his son. So now believing in him is even more urgent. Acts 17 talks about this. There was a time when in, somehow in God's reckoning, he allowed the nations to do what they did because the, his son had not yet been offered up. Well, now the son has been offered up. It's different. This creating word has become a literal person and walked among us. That lamb that was foreordained to be slain from the foundation of the world, he has been slain now. He has come. God has revealed his secrets to us. He has made himself and his works public in the glory of his son. So the biggest problem facing human beings when they read the Bible or hear the word of God in the gospel is that sin lives in us. The darkness overshadowing us will not let us accept the truth. It will not let us come to the light. 
By nature, human beings now, all of us, without exception, hate the light because of what we'll find out happens in Genesis 3. So the first five verses of the Bible, if they are true, present us with a massive and fatal problem. We are irreparably estranged and cut off on our side from the God who is from our Creator. We are without form and void spiritually. There is only darkness. There is no light. How in the world will we ever be saved then if God has separated light and darkness and they cannot mix? Beloved, how do we think people get saved? Have you ever thought about this? If the scripture reveals that we're unable to change our hearts to love and to worship God, right? Then how do people get saved? Jeremiah 13, 23, John 6, 44, Romans 8, 7, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. We can't come to him. We, we love the darkness, therefore we don't come. How did we get saved then? How did any of us ever come to Christ? Because of what we learn in the first five verses of the Bible. A pattern is established here. The plan God is going to use to do what he committed to before the foundation of the world is revealed here. In John 5, 46, Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. And one of the ways Moses wrote of Jesus is through themes. God created light out of darkness. He created where before he spoke there was nothing. Beloved, That's not just about the means of creation. It's ultimately, according to the Bible, about how God saves sinners. Do you know that? Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, just listen to this, because this is amazing. We're all the way into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we read this. I want you to see how Paul interprets Genesis 1, 1 through 5 in light of the revelation that he has of God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me begin at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let light shine out of darkness. Let there be light is what he's referencing. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What did Paul just do? Paul likens the heart of those who are blinded by the devil so that they cannot see the glory of Christ to what? That primordial darkness in Genesis 1. There was nothing. It was darkness and void until God spoke God speaking the first words we ever heard him say, let there be light into that physical darkness is a picture of what happens when he brings one to life whose spiritual heart is only darkness and void. That's why it reads the way it does. That's why he created the way that he did. 
So that Paul could pick it up and say, now that Christ had come, when you get saved, do you know what's happening? God is saying into your nothingness, void, and darkness, let there be light. And boom, Jesus is shining in you. This is how people get saved. God creates life in them out of nothing in them. He just creates it. It's not like you have 7% good and God injects the other 93% and you're, you're good to go. There's nothing. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing. But this God creates out of nothing with his word. And who is this word? It is Christ. We contribute nothing. We have nothing to produce from ourselves. That which is pleasing to God. We only have darkness. God gives. Notice that. Gives because it's not there. The light of the knowledge of his glory to us. In the face of Jesus Christ. In his word. He gives light. He says let there be light. Into the nothingness of our dead. Void and darkened souls. And what does God's word do? It creates Creates faith, beloved, in you. That's, that's why the Bible calls him in Hebrews the author of our faith. Like it come, he did it. He wrote it in me. When God proclaims his incarnated word, Jesus, into our souls through the gospel, there is light. There is faith. We believe. He creates salvation. He creates belief in him where there was nothing but rejection of him before. How do we, have you ever thought, how do we explain that? You'd be sitting in a crowded room and, and of 400 people and two people respond to the call of the gospel. Is the difference in them? Never. The difference is never in the person. Or we could take credit for our salvation and we know better than that. That would be like us taking credit for our existence. And what is the most fundamental rejection of God that we claim we made ourselves? It's like claiming you saved yourself. This is how God is going to save the people that belong to him before the foundation of the world. He's going to create belief in them through Jesus Christ in the same way he created literal light out of literal darkness. It's all a picture of what he's going to do in the soul of those he saves. His word creates the world and that same word creates salvation when he shines into the darkness in our hearts. That's when we believe. So the plan, the how of how God is going to redeem sinners is given to us in the first five verses of the Bible. God is showing us what he is going to do and how he is going to do it. The God who said, let there be light in creation, says let there be light in salvation so that his plan and promise from before the foundation of the world will be accomplished. In the first five verses of scripture, the reality of the God who is, of his word, his power, his grace, and his salvation are made known to his people. There's a group I really like, I guess you could call them a group. I think one guy sings, but they're called Sleeping at Last, and they have a song called Uneven Odds with his great line in it. He says, darkness exists to make light truly count. I, I like that attempt at an explanation of it. Darkness exists to make light truly count. If, if it wasn't for the darkness, I don't know that we would understand the gift of light. That's true naturally. I mean, 
when I was young, we lived in, my dad pastored at this tiny little church in Pickaway County, Ohio, called Darbyville Church of the Nazarene. It was tiny, about 23, 25 people on a good, good Sunday, you know. So you can imagine what Sunday nights were like. You know, when you have 180 and you go down on Sunday night, that's one thing. When you have 23 and you go down on Sunday night, it's, it's, but we lived, the, the parsonage was a trailer right behind the church, literally right behind it. And it was, it was really drafty and the power went out all the time. All the time. And in the beginning, my sister and I loved it because my mom would like heat up hot chocolate on the propane tank heater thing and we would play spoons with cards. So we wanted the power to go out really bad. Then it got really old really fast, right? With no power and darkness all the time and cold and it's true naturally that if it wasn't for the darkness, we don't know that we would understand the gift of light. Is definitely true spiritually. The fact that God saves us by grace and not in another way, like our effort or works, shows us. So the way he did created foreshadows the way he saves. And the fact that the way he saves is by grace and not by another way shows us that we need to understand salvation as a miracle of God that can only happen if God does in us what he did at creation. Everything that exists was created in a certain way to proclaim to us how it is that God saves the people who have rebelled against him. Because if he is this great, if you get estranged from him, how are you getting back? By the time we run into the fall in Genesis 3, our knowledge of God should be at least enough to say, how do you earn his approval? How, how do you impress him? How do you bring him down? He creates out of nothing. Will he really be satisfied with trinkets and, and commitments? It's going to be all God, all grace, all his power. We contribute nothing. We have nothing inside of us for him to work with. That's why salvation is likened to let there be light. Because on our end is the darkness and the void. There's nothing here that assists God in his desire to save me. There's nothing here that already exists through which God creates salvation. That's the correlation Paul is making for us. God just does it. He does it through the gospel, the message of great salvation of Jesus Christ. The darkness in our hearts because of sin then doesn't exist because God can't control his creation. It exists so that when he saves us, we understand just precisely what it is that has really happened. And beloved, tonight you need to know if this is true, there is no darkness too dark for him. There is no darkness. There is no inability. There is no nothing that is too dark, that is too void, that is too nothing for the life-giving, life-creating word of Almighty God in Jesus Christ. And we glorify him because if he hadn't done creation out of nothing in us, there wouldn't be any salvation. The God who is in Genesis 1 is the God who saves by plan and by promise. And as we go through this book, if God will be with me, the mine of beauty that is here 
is more than we're going to be able to cover, even though it'll probably take me quite a while to get through the book of Genesis. It's beautiful. God is beautiful. It's amazing what he's done. I'm going to pray. If you'd like to turn in your hymns to page 204, I'll be standing down here if you need to come and pray for any reason, but I'm going to close us in prayer, lead us in prayer here, and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your mercy. God, we praise you as the God who creates out of nothing by his word. That's the first thing you tell us about yourself. That's the first thing revealed to us in the Bible. You create out of nothing by your word. We find Paul pick up on that to explain salvation to us all those thousands at least years later in 2 Corinthians. And so, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts to you, to your word, that we would believe your word and trust you and look to you and find our life and our hope in you and in nothing and no one else. We ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.